You would have to do that to me, wouldn't you, John? Oh, that's the kind I grew up on. And that is my testimony. God's amazing grace. I'm so glad you came today. I figured if you heard I was preaching, you wouldn't come. Uh, but I guess you wanted to come and see uh, uh, if I still had anything left. And I'm still worried about that myself. I told the other uh, group this morning, I said, you know, I got up real early this morning and took a bath, used right card, guard and left tackle, and they sat in the back. And, uh, and I'd already worked up a sweat now, so y'all are up here close. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me today to the ninth chapter of the Gospel according to Mark. And I know so many of you use the NIV. Uh, uh, I, I use the NIV from time to time, but I, it's not one of my favorite translations. But nevertheless, I thought I would read out of the NIV this morning. So if you've got your Bibles and you turn to chapter 9, the Gospel of Mark, and beginning in verse 14 and read through verse 29, uh, when you find your pace, would you stand in reverence of reading of God's Word? And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. And when the whole crowd saw him, they were immediately overcome with awe and they ran forward to greet him. And he asked him, what were you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out and they could not do so. He answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long... How, how much longer must I be with you, among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It, was often, it often cast him to the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, you spirit that keeps this boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he was able to stand. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, this kind comes out only through prayer, and if you have the King James Version, it'll say, and fasting. May the Lord add his richest blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Well, 
want to talk to you a, a few moments today about power failure in an electrical world. We're living in a world that is uh, so technologically advanced that some of us don't even know where to get on or where to get off. Uh, I know it's, uh, that's the way I am. Uh, you folks know a whole lot more about technology than I do. But I know we are living in an electrical world. Have you ever had a time when there was a great power failure? Maybe last night. I, I was trying to watch the ball game last night, the uh, Mississippi State, uh, Arizona game, and all of a sudden my television went crazy. Uh, lost power, lost uh, the station. And I was so frustrated because uh, uh, I didn't have any opportunity to watch TV. Maybe you've been that way. You're watching the Super Bowl or you're watching the national championship and all of a sudden it goes blank. And I don't know why this should frustrate us so much, but I know it does. And as I began to think last night, I thought about, well, I have to put this up against my background. I remember as a small boy that uh, there were some very large trucks that came through our community. And they had a large auger on the back of that truck, and they began to dig holes. And uh, I wondered why they were digging such deep holes. You see, out in the country, when you put a pasture fence up, your, your post hole is about 18 inches deep. These were over four feet deep, and I wondered what in the world they're trying to do. And then a few days later, they came along and dropped long poles that were about 50 to 60 feet long. And it still did not uh, cross my mind what was happening. Then they brought huge rolls of wire and began to drop it along the road in uh, a great distances apart. And then they came that day and put those poles up. And at 4 o'clock on the afternoon, when they turned the power on, that little 40-watt bulb that was hanging from the ceiling was the brightest light I had ever seen. You see, I got electricity when I was 6 years old. Now, why, when my television goes out now and my electricity goes out, why do I get so frustrated? Maybe it's because we expect it to be there. It's always been there in our minds, and we expect it to be there. And so we're looking for electricity, and yet oftentimes there's power failures. I think this is a, really a sign of a world without Christ, a power failure. The Bible tells us in this story that Jesus and his three disciples had just come from the Mount of Transfiguration. They had been up on the mountain and in the presence of God, and the power of God had manifested Moses and Elijah that had been dead for a thousand years. All of a sudden, they were there speaking with Jesus about his upcoming death. The power of God fell in such ways that the disciples wanted to build altars on the Mount of Transfigurations. But yet that voice from heaven said, you hear him. He's the one you need to hear. They come down from the mountain and all of a sudden those nine disciples that were left there could not cast out one little old demon. You say, Brother Paul, why would they expect him to cast out a demon? Well, if you remember, Mark starts off his gospel with the first of all, in chapter 2, he, Jesus healed a paralyzed man who had been let down in front of him. In chapter 3, he had healed a man who had a withered hand. And 
Uh, also, he had cast out a whole legion of demons from a man in the Gadarean uh, cemetery, and those demons had gone into a herd of swine and been drowned. He had healed a woman with issue of blood for 12 years. One continual miracle after another. In chapter 6, Jesus had called 12 men to follow him. And listen to what he said. He gave them authority over evil spirits. Why wouldn't the world expect the same kind of power from the disciples, the nine disciples that were left? I contend to you that sometimes we, we uh, see parallels. You see, the power of God is what's uh, expected out of the church. And yet the nine disciples oftentimes represent the powerless church. Have you ever wondered why there are so few great revivals in churches today? Have you ever why, wondered why there are so few of those spiritual highs that we often look for? I've been in a few revivals in my almost 60 years of ministry. I've seen one or two. But I wish I had seen hundreds, but I have not. So I wondered, why is it that the church oftentimes is so powerless when it comes to doing things that God expects us to do? Jesus had called those 12 disciples, gave them authority over evil spirits, had even commissioned them in the last days of his life to win the world to Christ. And yet, how are we doing? Have we taken a spiritual inventory of ourselves recently? Well, if we check, we find out that our world is growing far faster than we could win them to Christ. The disciples were powerless to cast out a demon. And yet, at the same time, Jesus was able to do it. I wonder why they could not. Well, let's examine the story just a minute. Maybe we can find out why they were powerless. In fact, the disciples were puzzled. They said, why could not we just cast out that spirit? Why, why, what, what happened? What went wrong? Jesus said, these kind are difficult cases, in other words. They come out only by prayer. So the first thing that Jesus indicates is that oftentimes we fail because of the lack of faith. We don't have faith that God is going to do anything in our midst. When you came this morning, let's just be nosy. When you came this morning and you got in your car, you said, I wonder what God's going to do today in church. Is that what you said? Or did you get in the car and say, kids, shut up, we're going to church. <laughs> you see, we don't get anything because we don't expect anything. If we don't expect anything, we won't get anything. Have you ever wondered why there's so much, so few outpouring of the Spirit of God in our churches today? The Bible indicates that the, this demon-possessed boy represents a lost world without Christ. And yet we're, we're called as disciples to win the world, to cast out the demon of unbelief in our world in which we live. And yet, oftentimes, we fail in doing so. Statistics tell us that people are being born six times faster than we're winning them to the Lord. 
Six times. So every, every day we're losing ground by six times the number we're winning to the Lord. In an average city in the United States, there are three times as many bars and places of entertainment than there are churches. You say, Brother Paul, there's a church on every corner. Yes, there is. But if you look, there's a bar on every corner. There's a place of entertainment on every corner. Evil is no longer in the shadows and in the gutters, but evil is on the surface and it's in-your-face society. We talk about Jesus and they say, in-your-face. We don't believe that. Just because you don't believe it doesn't make it not so. Oftentimes we fail to realize that we're losing ground. Let me give you a list of some statistics you may not, may not remember, but in 1850 it took only five Christians to win one to Christ. Only five. For every five Christians there was a convert. In 1870 it took 40 to win one to Christ. In 19 and 1970, it took 43 to win one to Christ. In 2000, it takes more than 50 to win one to Christ. And yet Jesus said, go on into the world and make disciples, teaching them and baptizing them, and lo, I am with you to the end of the age. That's our commission, and yet we're failing so miserably in what God has called us to do. What went wrong? What went wrong? Well, Jesus indicates that it is probably a lack of faith. He says, oh, faithless generations, how long have I been with you? How long am I to be with you? And yet uh, you, you have not demonstrated faith. Jesus uh, emphasized the need of faith. In Mark 7, or Matthew 17, rather, that's the same story is told about this, this incident. And Jesus said, O faithless and perverse generation. Matthew includes the word perverse. What does the word perverse mean? It means sinful. It means sinful. So Jesus said, Why you could not cast out these? These kind come only by prayer. And prayer unlocks the door to heaven. How many do you expect to win for Christ? Many years ago, a famous pastor in England named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. You may not know anything about him, but if you're a pastor or going through seminary or college, you probably had to study Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Uh, he was a pastor in London had thousands of people in his church, mentored and taught, taught thousands of young pastors. One day he sent them out in the streets of London and he told them to go out and win people to Jesus. When they came back in, they were kind of disappointed. Not anyone had been won to Christ. And so he asked the question, he said, Men, how many did you expect to win this morning when you went out? They said, 
29. Well, you accomplished what you expected. Or like the timid shoe salesman who said, now you don't want to buy any shoes today, do you? You see, that's the way the church does. We go out and knock on the door and say, you don't want to get saved today, do you? And of course, the logical answer is no. And we're losing the world by leaps and bounds. God's power lives in us. Why should we expect to have God's power? Because it lives within us. The Holy Spirit of God that comes to indwell every believer is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. So why should we expect to be powerful, to change lives? Is because, first of all, the power of God lives with us. Secondly, the promise of God has been given to us. Jesus said in John 14, 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Buddy, that's powerful. He has promised that if we ask anything in his name, believing, and of course we understand it's, it, we don't ask for a, something outside the will of God, but if we ask anything in his name, he'll do it. Not only the power of God that lives in us, the promise of God that is to us, but the performance of God in days gone by. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it says, Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why should we think that we're powerful? Why should we believe that we're powerful? Why do we think we can win this world to Christ? Because of God's past performance. When the Israelites came out of captivity or came out of Egypt, they were standing before the Red Sea. Now, I don't know what you believe about that. I'll tell you what I believe. I believe they were standing before the Red Sea, not 18 inches of water. And God parted that Red Sea and they went through on dry land and God closed that sea back up and drowned their enemies. I, that's what I believe about the Red Sea experience. Now, you can listen to what anybody else says. That's fine. You go ahead. You have a right to be wrong anytime you want to be. God took a little shepherd boy off the hillside, put a slingshot in his hand, and killed a giant and defeated the enemy of Israel. God took a cussing, doubting Peter and gave him a message on the day of Pentecost that 3,000 souls came to know Christ. You see, God can use us if we're usable. And our prayer ought to be as the church of the living God, dear God, do it again and again and again through me. And we oftentimes say, God, do it again, but do it with somebody else. Jesus said, maybe it's because of lack of faith. And then as I mentioned Matthew's uh, addition, that he says it's because you're perverse. Maybe our failure is because of unconfessed sin in our life. God does not use dirty vessels. Maybe there's sin in our life and our, our witness and our testimony does not find fertile ground because they see how we live. Matthew chapter 17, he says we're perverse. That's a pattern by the way, in the scriptures, God always forgives sin and then he performs the miracle. You remember in Mark chapter 2 when they let the man down on 
from the roof. The first thing Jesus said is, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Then the Pharisees begin to question him, and he says, which is easier for me to forgive sin or tell him get up and and, and walk, take his bed and walk? You see, the pattern is God forgives sin. Then he performs the miracle, the healing. That same sin separates us from the power of God. God does not use dirty vessels. The Bible says that God, that sin destroys the power of God. In Psalm 66, 18, the psalmist said, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Wonder why prayers sometimes are not answered. Maybe there's iniquity in our hearts and the Lord will not hear us. That's why David said in Psalms 51, Create within me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And then two verses later he said, Then shall I teach transgressions thy ways, and sinners will be converted. You see, first of all, there's the clean heart and the pure hands. The Bible is filled with examples of failures because of sin in their life. The first king, King Saul, started out with a glowing report. For you see, he was head and shoulders above everybody else. Then he got to feeling his Cheerios. And he broke the law of God. God took away his, the spirit from him. There was Samson, who was a mighty man of God. He began to take God for granted. And he really thought his power was in his hair. Can you imagine how silly that sounds? That our power is in our hair? Well, my power is leaving. Most of it's left. Didn't realize that his power was in the presence of God. God took his spirit off of Samson. Simon Peter had once said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus had said, Blessed are you, Simon. You didn't get this from men. You got it from God. Then Peter stood on that late evening and early morning and said, I don't know him. Not me. I'm not one of his disciples. You see, failure, the presence of sin brings failure in our lives. God's will demands a complete cleansing. Our conduct must match our claims or people will not want to hear what we have to say. Reminds me of a a Chinese laundryman who had a little cleaning shop in the community. Someone asked him about some of his customers who were churchgoers 
And he says, too much talky-talky and not enough walky-walky. Too much talky-talky and not enough walky-walky. You see, our walk must match our talk or people won't listen to what we have to say. Clean vessels. Sometimes we fail because of lack of prayer. The Bible says here that Jesus said, this kind comes only by prayer, out by prayer. How's your prayer life? Jesus de declared the importance of prayer in this, in this passage. Nothing is going to happen without prayer. We can have programs till we run out of the wazoo. We can employ methods until we feel like we're magicians. We can have performances upon performances, but that's not where the power comes from. I know that's news to you, but it's not. The power comes from God. That's the source. That's the power source. How do we get hold of that source? Well, we ask Him for it. If you ask anything in my name, believing, I will do it. It comes down from God. It does, it's not in us. It's not in the pulpit. It's not in the programs. It's not in the performance. But it's in the power of God. That's where it is. And if we don't get a hold of it, Nothing important will ever happen. God always puts prayer before performance. God said to Elijah one day, when Elijah was about to face old King Ahab, by the way, he was outnumbered 401. Ahab had 400 prophets of Baal. He went to God and he was concerned about facing old Ahab. You know what God told him? He said, Elijah, go hide yourself. Go hide yourself before you face Ahab. You see, a lot of times we would be points ahead if we hid ourselves before we faced the crises. Now, what was Elijah doing when he was hiding himself? He was in the presence of God. So when, when Elijah went to Ahab, he could stand up and say, Bring on your prophets. Build the altar. Burn it up with fire. Water it down with water. Bring them on. You see, God answered with fire from the heaven. So, hide yourself. Prayer always goes before performance. And then God answers in proportion to our prayer life. Dear friend of mine, when he was a young fellow, had an infant daughter, born three months premature. They rushed it to the hospital. The doctor came in with a grim face and said, I'm sorry to tell you, but there's nothing else we can do. Then he asked a question. He said to this friend, he said, how much have you been putting on deposit with God? What do you mean? He said, how's your prayer life? 
Well, this friend was lost. He left that hospital that day, went to his place of employment, got off by himself, fell on his face before God, poured out his heart to God. God saved him. But also, a few days later, they brought that infant daughter home. Now, if I told you who that infant daughter was, you would know her by name. She's now a mother of three children, a grandmother of about five children. You see, are we putting anything on deposit with God? If you never talk to Him except when you're sliding down the the roof and a nail catches you by the britches, if that's the only time you cry out to God, no wonder your prayers are not being answered. Are you putting anything on deposit with God? Young lady would encounter her pastor on a regular basis and she would say, Pastor, my husband is lost. Would you pray with him, me that he would be saved? After several approaches, finally the pastor said, Okay, you and I will agree that we will pray until your husband comes to know the Lord. One day the husband, who was a railroad employee, was riding his train. and She was on her face before God praying. He sensed there was something wrong at home. As soon as he finished his run, he rushed back home and he found her laying in the middle of the floor, weeping and crying and praying. He said, honey, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she shared her love for him, how much she wanted to see him saved, how much she wanted to spend eternity with him. As he walked around the house in deep thought, she continued to pray, and finally she felt him as he slipped down beside her and asked the Lord to save him. Are we really serious about seeing people saved? That we're willing to pray throughout the night? Are you ever how long it takes? Are you ever how many months it takes? Are you ever how many years it takes? Are we really that committed to the Lord? A few years ago, I taught a class in a church that I served and about how to witness, how to share your faith. And one of our faithful church members came up to me and said, Brother Paul, I can't do that. That scares me to death to try to share my faith with somebody else. And I said, Jim, do you know anybody that's lost? He said, oh yes, I know a couple down the street that have no church affiliation and they have never been saved. I said, why don't you invite them up for coffee and, and refreshments and just talk about the Lord. Just talk about how wonderful it is to be a Christian, the joy of the Lord, how much he means to you and your family. I said, that's all you do. He did that several times. And one day he saw me in church and he said, Brother Paul, I think Charles is about ready. Now, I knew what he meant. And so that next Saturday morning, I went to Charles' house and I sat down, opened the Bible, showed him how, from the Scriptures, how he could come to know Christ. There in that living room, he and I got down on our knees and he prayed 
ask the Lord to save him and come into his heart. Next, the next day, Sunday morning, down the aisle he came. And then week after week, another member of his family kept coming until I baptized every single member of his family. You say, well, that's awfully nice of this guy to share with you. Let me tell you what he did for Jim. Jim had a 17-year-old son. One day his son came in and said, Dad, God's calling me into the ministry. He's a pastor of a church today. How much do we really, are we really concerned about the lost condition of this world? We put so much emphasis on our physical body that's not going to last very long. If we live to be a hundred, we have crossed a milestone. And yet we ignore, ignore the spiritual body that's going to be through here throughout eternity. Now, where's our emphasis? Oh, I'm not saying we oughtn't to pray for people that are sick. In fact, we ought to pray for people. In fact, the Bible tells us we're to pray about every single need, whatever it might be. And we're to lift up those that are sick. He says the prayer uh, of the faithful will save the sick. So, it's not that we should not, we should neglect the human body, but we should put as much emphasis on the spiritual body as we do on the human body. What's the desire for you? If I would ask you a question, what do you want to see happen in this church? You say, oh, Brother Paul, I want this church to grow. I want people to be saved. I want missionaries to go out. I want this community to know we're here. And I want every time our doors open, be filled up. Okay, all right. I get you. Who is God going to do that through? Is it going to be you? Or is it going to be me? Many church members believe that that's why we have a staff. Ushers came down one Sunday morning. Pastor said, Deacon so-and-so, would you pray for us? He said, no, you pray, that's what we pay you for. Is that what you think? Every single person that knows the Lord Jesus, God has given you a ministry. We need to find it. And we need to use it. Over and over again. And you say, well, Brother Paul, I want this church to be the greatest church in this community. I do too. But I want God to do it through me and you. We need to ask God to use us. God will use every single believer if they're usable. We need to get along with God and ask Him what He wants us to do. If you start praying, Lord, I'm a member of First Baptist Church of Pelham. What do you want me to do to help my church to reach the lost for Christ? I guarantee you, if you'll do that, and if God knows that you're serious, He'll show you what He wants you to do. If you ask Him, He'll show you. 
If you don't ask Him, He'll still show you sometimes. It may bring about conviction, but He'll still show you. Why are we so unsuccessful in reaching our world for Christ? Maybe it's because of lack of faith. It could be because there's unconfessed sin in our life. It could be because there's a lack of prayer and concern on our part. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, we need to find out. Because we are 20, almost 2,500 members in this congregation Less than half of us show up on Sunday. If you ran a business like that, you'd be out of business. All your employees would be fired if that's the kind of activity that went on in your business. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to get along with God and ask God what He wants us to do. I'm not concerned what he wants Pastor Davin to do. Oh, I care, but God's going to tell him what to do. But he needs to tell me what to do. And he needs to tell you what to do. Because you see, the light of the world is Jesus. And this world is living in a world of darkness. Maybe there's an absence of light altogether in your heart today. And what I've been saying to you has not found a place of lodging because there's nothing there. Your witnesses, my spirit does not witness with your spirit because the light of the Lord is not there. You say, well, Brother Paul, I joined the church when I was just a kid. I baptized people who have been church members for years. In fact, one of my faithful church members had been a deacon in the Baptist church for 25 years, lost as a goose. Came down one morning to move his letter from another church, another denomination. He'd gotten mad at the preacher and left. And the church clerk said, what do you want me to do this? I said, not a thing. God's not through with him yet. So I preached a sermon the next Sunday on how to know that you know that you know from 1 John. He went home said, I'm never going back to that church again. And his wife said, why? Because that preacher did everything but call my name. And she said, you don't know that you're saved? He said, no, I don't think anybody can know. She said, well, I know. They got the Bible out and began to read Scripture. And he slipped down on his knees and asked the Lord Jesus to save him called me on the phone, said, what shall I do? I moved my letter last Sunday. What shall I do? I said, I don't know. What did God tell you to do? He said, I'm going to be the first one down the aisle Sunday morning. I'm going to tell the church what the Lord has done for me. And sure enough, true to his word, he came down the aisle. He turned around, looked at the congregation. I said, John, you want to tell them what the Lord did for you? He said, uh <laughs> fell across me, big man, like to crush me to death. Became one of my faithful church members. Love the Lord, do anything for you. You see what was different? He was a Baptist deacon that was lost. And then all of a sudden he became 
a man who was saved. And the difference between it was like dark and daylight. That's the way it always happens. If it hadn't happened to you, better go back and check your pedigree. Something has to be different about your life. If the light of the Lord is not there already, turn the light switch on today. Jesus said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Or rather, the Apostle Paul said that. But Jesus said, Come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly at heart. You shall find rest unto your souls. Come to me. That's what Jesus is inviting us to do. Some of you may be here. You've been coming from time to time. In fact, we've had church members. Uh, we've had people join our church. Been here for years. All of a sudden, God says, this is it. This is the place. God is speaking to your heart today. This is it. You need to do something about it. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for the opportunity just to open the word. I pray that it will find lodging in our hearts and that we might know that we've got to be clean vessels to be used of thee. Lord, that we have to have something on deposit with you. That's the opportunity we have just to lift up our needs to you day by day. To have communication and communion with you, Lord. You're just not someone that's in a far country, Lord, but you should be in, in our hearts and in our lives and you should be the center of our lives. And Lord, if, we're not, if that's not where we are, I pray that somehow the Holy Spirit of God will speak to our hearts today. Lord, there may be some people here who have never received the Lord Jesus as personal Savior. I want to stand to testify that if Christ comes into your life, you'll be a new person. Uh, old things will be, begin to pass away and all things will become new. Lord, there may be some people here who have been attending the church but haven't found that place of ministry. Help them to know that there's always a place to display our talents and our gifts with the people of God. So I pray, dear Father, that you might call them out of their pew, out of their, uh, out of their uh, indecisions and undecided, that they would decide today that this is the place where God would have them to be. Lord, you know the desires of our hearts. You know the needs of our heart today. We're not here to tell you about those desires. You already know. So, Father, we just lift these up to you today and pray that you would do that which brings glory and honor to your name. For it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.